Nearly three out of four doctors say practicing today is more risky than it was just five years ago. Between claims of medical malpractice, audits, and insurance denials, they're facing pressures across their entire practice. Robin is here to help. Robin has reimagined the medical note to protect your practice in new ways and save you time. With Robin, you only document the clinical issues you care about, and we deliver comprehensive administrative documentation that includes justified medical coding, medical liability defense, audit protection, and more. Visit robin.co slash J-O-S-P-T to learn more. That's R-O-B-I-N dot co slash J-O-S-P-T. Hello and welcome to J-O-S-P-T Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. We've talked before on JOSPT Insights about the embarrassingly little evidence there is to guide clinicians and women and girls in sport and their musculoskeletal healthcare. But there's another group of women about whom we know virtually nothing, the master woman athlete. These are women who are highly active, competing in sport, and they have really high demands on themselves in terms of their performance in sport. Today, Professor Kirsty Elliott-Sale brings her physiology and endocrinology expertise to the podcast to help us understand how we best support the master woman athlete to stay healthy and perform at her best. I started by asking Kirsty to share what she sees as the keys for practitioners and athletes. If there's little research in women and girls, there's almost none in, you know, master women, women athletes. So with master uh, women athletes, it's likely that they will have less symptoms and side effects than in a sort of either a sedentary or a a less active sort of uh, woman. So almost their sort of sport and that sporting environment, training load, etc. will almost uh, sort of bubble wrap them and and protect them from from some of those symptoms and side effects. So they'll be uh, less prevalent. And actually, it draws a parallel to, we, we talk a lot about the effects of menstrual cycle phase on elite female athletes. And again, we tend to see sort of less symptoms and side effects in that elite sort of group with the menstrual cycle. And so it makes sense that, again, we might see less symptoms and side effects because those symptoms and side effects are reduced and sort of almost overwhelmed by all of the other positive benefits associated with these sort of highly active um, individuals. But on the flip side of that, so although they they may have less symptoms and and side effects, and it's, as I say, likely that these physiological changes will have less of an impact on their sort of day-to-day sporting endeavours or sort of health and and well-being and and quality of life. I would say that the flip side of that is when they do have a particular uh, symptom or side effect, it's likely that, you know, it will really be sort of, I can't think of the right word, but it will be highlighted amplified amplified that's a great word thank you for helping me my brain fog um that it would be amplified in them so although they'll have sort of i guess a a much shorter list and as i say they won't be affected on a on on the same day-to-day basis when they are affected i think it will be amplified and in that way then we will have to change practice around trying to of course reduce and limit that particular sort of side effect So I think here again, we're talking about the culture. So just like I would sort of say, if you were asking me about sort of 
female athletes sort of in in sort of just in adulthood I would say we have to have open and honest conversations around the menstrual cycle the same is true here and it you know although people will be listening thinking but of course that's just common sense no why if we're not having menstrual cycle conversations you know as I say again this this pipeline of girls transitioning from teenage athletes adolescent athletes into adulthood and then into the menopause if we're not used to discussing menstrual cycle symptoms, then I would never assume that, you know, sort of master women athletes would be comfortable then talking about some of these menopausal symptoms. So the first thing is to change the culture and make sure that we do have an environment within sport where we're very comfortable talking about all these things. And I expect that actually the athletes themselves, these sort of master women athletes, would be comfortable, but it's making sure the practitioners and support staff around them are a, as comfortable asking and then know how to interpret this information. So that I would say is, is the first thing around changing the culture. The second thing with menopausal sort of symptoms and some of the physiological changes is that it's not always evident in real time that's what's happening. And so, you know, it, it's very easy, you know, if we if we look back, you know, hindsight is, is a wonderful tool. And then we go, oh, yeah, that's what that was. So, again, I think it's about having this awareness as well. So as well as having this transparent, honest conversations, but you have to be aware of these things to have these honest conversations. So I think raising the awareness in the sporting environment of the physiological changes, of the endocrine changes associated with the menopause, So the athletes themselves and the practitioners know what to look out for. So they don't suddenly go down a rabbit hole thinking, oh, my goodness, there seems to be a change maybe in the training response here or the recovery response or something. And, oh, what what is that? That's not happened before. That they are maybe mindful that it could be associated with with the menopause. And then again, the last piece of that puzzle puzzle is if there there are some changes that are are amplified in, in this particular group, it's about putting things in place. And so again, not being a physiotherapist, I don't want to veer too much out of my own lane, but, you know, maybe looking at that sort of prehab space rather than the rehab space, isn't it? And looking to put in, you know, sensible and pragmatic interventions into their existing sort of training programs and routines. And then again, of course, if something does happen, injury or uh, maybe a, a change is needed in, in training program, that again, we, we know what to do in that space. So it's just responding to the individual. I do think, Claire, that sometimes when we you know start to talk about sort of female athletes or, or women in sport, we tend to sort of lose <laughs> some pragmatism and, and we tend to think that it's, you know, this is an entirely alien group in some respects and we have to reinvent the wheel. I would argue that if you are mindful of female specific issues, then it's likely that you will know the answer to, you know, how to address these changes or overcome these adverse effects. They'll already be in your toolkit where we need to put our attention is knowing about these changes and the potential impact of them. So it sounds like regular monitoring both the athlete of herself and also the clinicians, practitioners that she's interacting with. HRT, but either masters women athletes who are really struggling and is it an option to help them perform or is it more something that non-athletes, active women going through the menopause are going to find potentially helpful for managing symptoms? It's a difficult one to answer. It's, it's almost like the discussion around hormonal contraceptives in, in sort of the the sort of younger female athletes. I would say that hormone replacement therapy is a personal choice. But beyond that, if we did want to put it into the context of of being active and and, and potentially into sort of 
these master and um, women athletes. I think that there are many benefits to hormone replacement therapy. If you are, for example, a master um, women athlete and you do have some of these um, symptoms and side effects, and, and if they are amplified, meaning that they're really impacting upon your performance goals, then I think it makes sense to explore the options around hormone replacement therapy. Because if that means then that you can train as you used to, you know, if, if this symptom or a side effect is, is preventing you from training, you know, your joint pain becomes so bad that you, you're not going training or you're training at a, a reduced load. If that allows you to train as you normally would, then that seems sensible to me. If it means, you know, that HRT, one of the biggest benefits I found is it helps me sleep. And so, again, that will have an impact upon potential recovery as well for, for these athletes. So I think, you know, you make the decision first as a personal one. Is this right for me and, and my health and, and whatever that might be, your own sort of social values? And then beyond that, I think if it helps you to train and recover and, and all of the, the things surrounding being active or, or being a, obviously an, an elite sportswoman, then I think then it, it seems like a sensible course of action to, to me. One thing that strikes me is that in women's sport, there's less support generally compared to, to men's sport, both in terms of medical and performance support. Often you're trying to juggle a, a full-time or at least a part-time job with playing playing sport. As a master's athlete, I think that's even further amplified. You're funding your own way, you're doing sport and competing really because you absolutely love it, not because you're getting paid to do it by any means. So I wonder whether that creates a different context again, because you are the sort of central contact, the liaison person for what might have been a multidisciplinary team around you if you were in a younger sort of team environment in your younger years. So I wonder if you've got tips there for people who are trying to build that sort of multidisciplinary support, but in a way that is is probably pretty fragmented just because of the way that there's no money involved. <laughs> Absolutely. It's really difficult, I think, for, for women to potentially navigate their own sort of sporting careers. We, of course, I, I, obviously, I'm an academic. I, I work at a university, so I've invested in my own education. The practitioners listening, they've invested in their education. But as you say, the athletes themselves may have either no or very limited access to, to people like, like us. And so I think there's a real piece around educating women in general, but especially in sport, about sort of their hormonal profile across the lifespan. You know, I've been in this area 20 years and I'm still learning, <laughs> you know, still picking up different, you know, hormonal profiles and models that I haven't come across. And, you know, I would say that if you look at the female lifespan, starting with puberty and, and that sort of instigation of the menstrual cycle, that doesn't happen. It's not just a switch that's flicked. Although we tend to maybe wrongly um, use menstruation and menstrual cycles almost synonymously, I would say that when an adolescent athlete gets her first period, people go, OK, job done, menstrual cycle model. No, it can take up to two years to really lock in all of this sort of characteristics associated with the menstrual cycle. Then as they go through adulthood, you know, they may encounter, unfortunately, menstrual dysfunction. They may, if they would like to, become pregnant. So there's other hormonal profiles. If they use hormonal contraceptives, that's another set of hormonal profiles. And then when they sort of get to the menopause, the ovarian hormone changes associated with the menopause, the bit in the middle, the transition, that's really hard to describe and to quantify. It's a mess navigating your way through 
changes in hormone concentrations that are unexpected, unpredictable, you know, menstruation, you know, sporadic points of amenorrhea. It's it's a nightmare when you're postmenopausal and, and you've really gone through it and you're at the other end. Again, that is easier to quantify and, and to navigate. And you, you get then this more sort of stable hormonal profile that sort of sees you out in, into old age. So knowing all of that, like I've probably just described in the last few sentences, what, 10, a dozen different hormonal profiles that an average woman will experience. That's the tip of the iceberg. And so, again, without without going on too long, I think bringing it back, how do we make women aware of all of these changes, what to expect, what to look out for, where they can get credible advice? You know, I think that social media can be a difficult place for anybody to navigate, not least athletes. And I do see quite a lot of myth around, you know, ovarian hormone profiles, whether it's menstrual cycle, whether it's menopause, I see a lot of bad information out there. So where do athletes go? A, for their education, B, that their education is meaningful. They don't want to sit in a room with me and listen to 10 hours of physiology and endocrinology. Who would? You know, it has to be bite-sized. It has to be meaningful. It has to resonate with them. And then how do they take that information, A, into their own practice? Because as you say, you know, they're sort of almost sort of self-employed, if if you know what I mean, in, in terms of being an athlete. Or how did they take this into, you know, that limited access they have to professionals. You, you know, if you only have a half an hour with a physiotherapist and you do have joint pain or, a, or an injury, you need that half an hour for that. And, you know, you probably don't have the luxury to just talk about maybe, I, I think this might be linked to my menopause. Should I be concerned about this? How do I overcome it? So I think, you know, it's very onerous, very burdensome on, on sort of female athletes, master women athletes. But education, awareness, access to credible information and and to then to the practitioners. Oh, there's so much. But I think that's what we all need to have in our minds, these complexities. How do we take something that is potentially complicated and nuanced and make it meaningful for those athletes? We're getting women more active and keeping, you know, as I say, those sports women into long, you know, careers right into being master um, women athletes. Professor Kirsty Elliott-Sale, your commitment is so infectious and I'm so grateful that you are leading so many of us on this path of supporting women and girls and women of all ages to stay active and to perform at their best and stay injury-free. Thank you so much for joining me on JOSPT Insights. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. I'm sure you've heard Claire the saying about research is me search. <laughs> and so, yeah, you can just, I think, track my my research career as I've aged. It's gone from menstrual cycle now into menopause. So no, I'm 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 all in. It's it's an area I love and I'm I'm passionate about. Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favourite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, where JOSPT official. Talk with you next time.